Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. All right. Wow. Yes. Do you have text messages? We have text messages. Okay, so National Day of Prayer. Without God, it has no meaning. It is simply being politically correct. 80% of Americans claim to believe in God. Now, that's an interesting uh, statistic Mm -hmm. when we just looked at uh, the contrast there, which is that only 4% of teens and young adults have a biblical worldview. Mm. Big difference between believing in God and actually having a biblical worldview. Yeah. uh, Which is a bit scary. Uh, taking God out of prayer, that makes no sense. It's the fall of the nation, which is exactly what Satan wants. When America goes, the world goes. Biden doesn't make those decisions. Uh, the Jesuits do. Oh, the Jesuits coming out again. Um, it's, it's an interesting little, it's an interesting thought here because I think that when a president, you know, speaks or a political leader speaks about a national day of prayer, mm. I don't see that as a union of church and state because he is not, um, he is not you know, favouring any particular religion and there is no objection in that to people of no faith to actually uh, not have a day of prayer. He's yeah, just saying, not, hey, this is a great time to have a day of prayer. It's not legislative. And I think that when a when a political leader like a president or a prime minister or so forth was to is, is to make that kind of statement um, or, you know, even make that kind of a, a special event... Mm-hmm. And in the announcement, I think their announcement should reflect their personal faith. And oh, I'm not yeah. going to be offended by that. 100%. You know, if we had a president who, or a prime minister who was Islamic, I would expect them to make an announcement such as this in a way that reflects their personal faith. Mm. And I don't see a problem with that because it's like, well, you know, Joe Biden is very, very openly Roman Catholic. And so, you know, that would be my expectation. It would not be my expectation that he would say, well, we're only going to do it the Catholic way. We're going to pray the rosary or you mm. know, pray to Mary or something like that. Then that would be um, wrong. But to announce a day of prayer and to do it in a context that reflects his own faith, don't have a problem with it. Neither do I. And to leave God out of it is just kind of weird. Ooh, oh, Lyle taking shots. So <laughs> It's just kind of weird. Just mm-hmm. interesting. Anyway, if the world knew the darkness of the entertainment industry, this next text message right here, and how it's been used for the destruction of the of the children, our children, let alone the sexualizing of the whole world into a Sodom and Gomorrah for the last days, they should be put in jail, uh, never for the rest of their natural lives, or for the rest of their... These people's minds are totally demon-possessed. Yeah, we, you, we were talking about this. We in, in our news section and, and the yes. war on children and how, yes. you know, they're really attacking the morality of children. It's not just the even the morality of children. They're just attacking children. Like, yes. they're just exploiting children to make money. Yes. Like, and, and think about it. Like, you know, create then, go even further, create, you know, a system of morality that's attractive, that's unique, that's different from what other people are teaching. Uh, and just suck them in that way. You know, people think that, uh, like, if it's... And and it works sometimes. Like, I, I can see in marketing if something is similar to something else and there's, like, brand recognition or, you know, whatever. But if you make something totally different, you know, if if we have, like, the world that is, you know, a, a Bible-believing Christian kids or whatever it may be, and then you make something that's totally different, if they then, like, is opposed to it, you know, morally... Uh, and and in other ways too. Ultimately, if you get them in, they they can't have both. You've got a hundred percent of their time. Uh, yeah. Let me just restate that. I was thinking. Yeah, I'm I was, just sort of sitting here thinking, 
What is Lost in Sound? I was thinking about it as I was saying. It's like essentially, you know, if you create media that, and the morality of that media is completely counter to maybe what that kid's grown up with or the Bible or whatever it may be, uh, and you suck them in, if you have the ability to win them to that media, well, then they can't, like those, the, the their media and their previous worldview, they cancel each other out. Like they don't have the ability to coexist. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 they, they leave their previous worldview. They become, you know, constant customers or whatever your media is, whatever that's your right. product is. You Sorry. Now have, you've now created your own tribe and that's yes. the best part of marketing. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting because in the United States, one of the other religious leaders to speak up on this was uh, pastor and author, author Michael Yusuf. Mm-hmm. And he says, the home is number one, the church is number two, and the school is number three. Even if the school is working against the kids, if they have the strength in the home and in the church, they will make it. But when the church avoids talking about issues or goes along with culture, then kids are confused. Mm-hmm. Or if the church just stays silent on it, how many of the churches are just staying silent on the really important issues that our world is facing right now? He goes on here, Satan is working overtime to deceive children. Um, if these words are terrifying, I'm glad they are because it's time for us to build the fences around our children and their hearts and seal them with the Holy Spirit. Children must know that there is a Satan and he hates God and he hates God's children and he's conspiring against them every minute, every day. Therefore, they have to galvanize themselves with the power of the Holy Spirit and mm. the Word of God in Word of God in order to fight. I love that. Galvanize themselves yes. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That is epic. Gal dipped, hot gal dipped right there in the mm. Holy Spirit. Ah. Oh. So good. See, for those of us who appreciate engineering, mm-hmm. that's just a great word right there. Yeah, it is. But I, I lo- like, I love the point that he's making. Uh, I love where he says that you know there is a Satan working every minute of every day, and and that Christians should talk about this. This yes. is like this is why. Okay, yes, yes, yes. This is why I How love. Many churches faith have faith never faith. ever raised these kinds of subjects. Hundred percent. You know, this is why I love Faith FM. Actually, you know, when I when I talk to people about my job and why I work here, let me just let me just gas this up real quick, Lyle. Let me let me just <laughs> let me just talk about us. I love Faith FM. I love Faith FM. The reason I love Faith FM, I, I love you know coming and doing the morning show, is because we get to talk about this stuff that people are scared to talk about. We get to give a Christian perspective on things that Christians won't talk about. Which is like one of the most damning things for Christianity is when we're not willing to respond to the problems that we have in our world. Now, a lot of the times people are scared to respond to the problems of our world for a number of different reasons. But what I see it as is maybe a lack of Bible literacy, maybe a lack of, you know, understanding of what they actually believe. I feel like that's what this is. We we have the ability to come together to teach the Bible and then use our knowledge that we gain from it to speak to these things. And it's great. Yeah, it is indeed. (laughs) Indeed. A text message coming through right now. Marketing started in the Garden of Eden. The fruit of the tree of life looked good, according to Satan. And, you know, that marketing strategy hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. If you want people to do something, make it look good. If you want people to consume something, make it look like, you know, it's worthwhile for them. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right, let's head over to Micah chapter 4, and we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. We were talking about the remnant yesterday, and when you look at what is happening in our world, and you look at 4% of children, uh, teenagers and mm-hmm. young adults that have a biblical worldview in the United States, and you know that that's going to be uh, a lot lower here in this country, yeah. it's easy to become discouraged. It's like, oh, wow, we're, we're, we're losing this battle. Mm. 
Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. If you go back to the time of Abraham, do you think Abraham had reason to be discouraged when he looked at the world in his day? Yeah, he was the only one. God chose him Mm. because there wasn't many other options out there. Mm. And he could be looking back at very recent history. You know, go and have a conversation with Shem. Yeah, well. And Shem could talk about what it was like to be one of eight. Yeah. In the world who still believed. Mm. You know, so our world has gone through some very, very dark periods when the knowledge of God has hung on by a very, very small thread. Think about Daniel. In the time of Daniel, you have Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel's three friends. That's a, a group of five. It's even more impressive because they were so young, but the population was exponentially bigger. And you're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And <laughs> yep, they were in captivity. Mm. They're being dragged off into captivity as the northern nation of Israel had done. Mm. And when the northern nation of Israel had been dragged off into captivity, they just vanished. It was over for them. They just never came back. Mm. It was you know, and their expect their expectation would be the same thing. You never came back. You've gone into captivity. Uh, you're going to disappear as a nation. And you know, Satan, that was his plan, obviously, because then the knowledge of God would finally be extinguished. But you've got, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That's about it. Mm-hmm. That's all that's left. And a very, very small remnant. And so when we look at our world today, should we expect Christianity to be gaining ground or losing ground the nearer we get to the return of Christ? Ooh. Well, we were talking all yesterday about, like, Christianity itself and what it will look like before Jesus comes back. And the reality is, is like, yes, like, you know, Christianity itself. Christianity doesn't disappear. It goes big and corrupt. It itself is used as a tool by Satan. So I think that the the question is like, yes, Christianity will be diminishing and the places where Christianity still exists as, you know, in a religious form uh, will be incredibly and terribly corrupt and gross. And that's just the sad reality of it, you know. When the Bible, the Bible talks about the, the very, very, very end of time, you know, the judgment taking place, post-millennium, all these things, and there, you know, there are those standing on the sea worshiping, you know, the sea of glass worshiping the, the, you know, worshiping God, and then it, you know, kind of turns its focus over to the wicked who are resurrected just before, you know, they're destroyed, and the Bible says that, you know, they're they're innumerable, they're like the sand of the sea. You know, it reminds me of. It reminds me of the parable of the virgins. Mm. Why don't we flick over there real quick? This is um, a step outside of our set Bible study. Twenty yeah, million people, and twenty million people around the world are not reading this one, uh-huh. so, but we are. Matthew twenty-five. Matthew twenty-five. Let's spend a little bit of time here and look at this passage because if you look at Matthew twenty-five in your Bible, you're going to find that if you have a red-letter Bible, which is all the words of Jesus in red, yeah. as Lawson does, <laughs> Matthew twenty-five is part of Matthew twenty-four. Uh-huh. Mm. There's no actually no actual division here. What's the first word of verse 1? Then. Then. That's a connecting word. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to say, well, when is that? Because Jesus is saying, you know, this and this and this and this at this particular time will happen, and then this is what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. So what is Matthew 24 all about? The end of time. The end of time. So then is the end of time. Mm-hmm. So this parable is all about the end of time. Let's read it for a minute and let's see what's actually going on in this parable. 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five who were wise took enough. Uh, took extra oil. Uh, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Okay, so let's uh, think about what we have so far because we are introduced to this parable, which is rich in symbolism. Mm-hmm. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. That's Jesus. Uh, what does a woman symbolize in Bible prophecy? A church. A church. Mm-hmm. And what uh, what does the oil symbolize? The Holy Spirit. And the lamp? Uh, the Word of God. The Word of God. So we've got a bunch of symbols here that we are all familiar with. We have our time periods, the end of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of women are these? Virgins. Virgins. So this is God's church. So we've got God's church at the end of time waiting for Jesus to return, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and... Uh, Knowing their Bibles inside out, back to front, and upside down, mm. across the board, and they all go to sleep, mm. uh, which says something about us. Then it continues on. It says, uh, "Yeah, let's go on with verse uh, six through thirteen. Six through thirteen. The Bible says, at midnight they were roused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps." Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us oil uh, because our lamps are about to go out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to, to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned. They stood outside calling, Lord, Lord. Open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Okay, it's a pretty heavy passage right here. Let's think about the... We've got two groups within God's church, right? Mm -hmm. We've got those who are wise and those who are foolish. What happens to the foolish? Are they saved or lost? Well, ultimately they're lost. They're lost. Mm. Did they want to be saved? Yeah. They wouldn't have gone out to meet the bridegroom if they hadn't. Mm. Were they expecting Jesus to come back? Yes. They wouldn't have gone out to meet the bridegroom if they hadn't. Did they believe that Jesus was coming back? Yes. Did they doubt that Jesus existed? No. Uh, did they? So, so they want to be saved and they are true believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's think about this a little bit further. Um, how many of them have lamps? All of them. How many of them have oil? All of them. Okay, so all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them know their Bibles inside out, back to front and upside down. As they go out to wait for the bridegroom and they're carrying their lamps with them, how many of them are sharing their light, spreading their light around? All of them. All of them. So these are these are not Laodicean Christians that you're talking about right here. These are active Christians who are out there sharing the word of God with others. Mm. And yet half of them are lost. Mm. What's the difference? The the oil? The oil. The preparation. Mm. Mm. comes down to the preparation. You see, there was a crisis coming. Yes. And when the crisis came, they needed extra oil. Mm. And half of them hadn't made the preparation for the crisis. They're like, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And we teach about Jesus. And we share Jesus with other people. And we experience the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus says is, you need more. Mm. 
You need to recognize that there's a crisis coming. This is why he's just given the whole of Matthew 24 is to outline the signs of when the crisis is coming because what he's saying is when that crisis comes, you're going to need more. Mm. You're going to need a stronger and extra connection with God, unlike any generation before. This is God's message to us right now. We need more of the Holy Spirit because there is a crisis coming. You know, the sad implication of that passage is half of them are saved, half of them are lost. You know, you think about that, draw a line down the middle of your church and think half saved, half lost. Mm. Very, very sobering. Let's go to Micah chapter 4 and verse 6. Micah chapter 4 and verse 6. Micah chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiles, and those whom I have filled with grief. I have verse 7 as well. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. Okay, so this is where the hope really comes in. Mm. Because we can look at Christianity today, we can look at our situation today, we can look at our churches today, and we can become very, very discouraged. Mm. But God's like, don't, don't be discouraged. Sure, bad things are going to happen. Christianity is going to become Babylon. It's going to become like the worst thing on the planet. Mm. But there will always be a remnant. Yeah, There will always be those who are true believers in God. There are always going to be those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, genuinely converted, and he will bring them together and make them into a new nation. Mm. And so while Elijah was out there saying, yeah, you know what, I'm the only one left. God was like, nah, nah, there's 7,000 out there. And just like Elijah here, like, you know, Elijah gets taken in by the widow who's, who, you know, is from a different nation. And it says here that these who were brought in were, were weak and exiles and lame. That God, you know, God reads the heart. He chooses those who are ready and open for him. And that looks, you know, in any way, shape or form. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 12. So that's Zephaniah 3 and verse 12. Let's see what the Bible has to say over here. Zephaniah verse 3. Sorry, chapter chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 12. The Bible says, Those who are left will be the lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. I read the next verse as well. It's very good. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will never tell lies and deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety, and no one will make them afraid. Okay, so good promise of hope right here. Mm. And once again, this is a theme that you're going to find in prophecy from one end of the Bible to the other. Mm. When the Bible talks about the last days, the Bible speaks about a remnant. Yes. There are churches out there today who uh, take the view that, you know, everybody's going to be saved. There's going to be millions of people saved. You know, just give your life to Jesus Christ, confess his name, and you're going to be saved. Or just, you know, do these certain sacraments and you're going to be saved. And, you know, we've, we've, we've baptized all these babies, so they're going to be saved. And they see the vast majority of the world being ready for the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the Bible teaches. When you look at that parable that you've got there, of the ten virgins, the Bible even speaks about those who are fully experiencing a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and only half of them are the saved. Mm. 
because they haven't made the preparation for the crisis that is coming. And so this is a, a really important part of our message here on Faith FM is that we are living in the last days. Mm-hmm. Jesus is coming back soon. We need to be prepared for that. But I just love this promise here. You know, when you read your way through it, um, I will leave within you the meek and the humble, the remnant of Israel who trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. You know, the Bible points forward to a remnant, but a remnant who live in peace mm. and righteousness. You know, this is what Peter talks about. Uh, if you go over to Second Peter, let's flick over to Second Peter real quick. And uh, there's a great promise over here. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and we will go to... Um, verse 13. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, as I flick there, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, but we are looking for forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Okay. Is that something worth looking forward to? Yes. A world filled with yes. God's righteousness. Amen. Oh, we've just been talking about the war and children and all this terrible I things. know, and it's just like, stop yes. the world, I want to get off. I, I, <laughs> it's not my home. Mum, pick me up, please. Yes. Come come get me. <laughs> like, Well, in this case, Dad. Dad, Dad, please pick me up. Uh-huh. They're doing things that I don't like. I feel uncomfortable. This is terrible. Uh-huh. But, like, this is fantastic. It is. It mm. is. Okay, then verse 14. Notice verse 14. Sit back, relax. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your Christian experience. Just take life easy um, and you're going to heaven. Is that what verse 14 says? Check out. This is what verse 14 says. Oh, did I read it wrong? Yeah, I think you did. Okay. I, don't, I, I don't think the phrase sit back and relax is in the Bible. But it does say this. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Mine says make diligent mm. Be diligent mm. to make your calling and election sure. Mm. Oh, no, sorry, that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Mm. The Bible speaks about diligence. The Bible doesn't say sit back, you've, you, know, you gave your life to Jesus 20 years ago, you've got nothing left to worry about. The Bible says be diligent about it. Mm. Be diligent about your relationship with Jesus. And this is why we encourage people to spend time with God every day, every mm. single day. Okay, we've got a bunch more verses here that we can look at. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 19. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 19, as I read it here, I find it on my page. Man, I'm really struggling to see, Lyle. I might be going blind. No, you are. Okay, I will perform a sign among them, and I will send those who survive to be messengers to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, uh, to Lydians, to Tubal, and Greece, and to all the lands beyond the sea. They have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. There they will defame, uh, sorry, they, they defamed, sorry, declare my glory to the nations. Okay, great promise right here mm. that God is going to preserve his word. And even when we see his word disappearing from amongst us, mm. it's going to go elsewhere. Yeah, we actually covered this passage in our last week of the Isaiah 
uh, the previous quarter of the 20 million yes. movement. Yes. And uh, I was actually here. You weren't here. I was here. And uh, I, had, I was going to say, I don't remember covering this. Yeah, it was, it was me and we had a different co-host every single day that week, which, was, which was epic. Uh, but we were really diving deep into this idea of the gospel going out like in this way and how there was an immediate application for Israel that was so unbelievable for them. You know, this is talking about coming up to the period of the Babylonian captivity and what would happen, you know, to their message, you know, once they go into captivity in Babylon. And we know that during that time, that was the kind of first dispersion of Jewish beliefs. And we see as we, as we move further down in history to the time of Jesus, you know, we see Paul and, uh, Silas and all those guys as they're doing their missionary journeys, like rocking up to random synagogues in random, you know, Gentile cities. It's like, oh, how do they end up there? Well, this is the, the initial dispersion of their beliefs. And, you know, where the places that it's talking about here, like Tarshish and Libya and Lydia and Tuval and Greece, like this is all over the world that they knew at the time. You know, they, they are looking at a crisis coming upon them. Yes. Where they will be snuffed out as a people because of the Babylonian captivity. Yes. And yet God promises that their message will go out. As a light to the world. As a light to the world. And we are it today in this very same position. Although we see a world that is Christian, as we're talking about here, you know, we don't see a world that is like, and we can't judge this, but this is just what the Bible says. We see a world that's Christian, but we don't see a world that's saved. We see a world that is lost in their sins and that is struggling, no matter what they call themselves, followers of Jesus or not. But this is so clear here that the message of Jesus and how to have a, a saving relationship with him and how to be prepared for his coming under the worst circumstances, under captivity in, you know, Satan's like dominion will still go out. Amen. It's powerful. It's so good because it's all we want, man. I just want to go home, bro. It's like so over it. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And so once again, you've got this restoration, this remnant that is coming back, this remnant that is surviving, and this remnant that continues to Mm. worship and serve and honor God. Okay. Oh, we're about out of time. So let me just give you a couple of other verses to look into. John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Uh, The Bible says here, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. Mm. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And what a great promise that we have right there as we face the trials and temptations that we have in our world right now. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day, Lyle. Yes. Was the law of God nailed to the cross? No. Last time I checked in my Bible, it was Jesus that Ooh. was nailed to the <laughs> oh, cross. Oh, okay. Not the law of God. You'd have a hard time nailing the law of God to the cross. It was made of stone. It would probably break. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm, 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 I understand what's being said here. All right, so you've got a choice here. Mm-hmm. You can either nail Jesus to the cross or the law. You can't nail both. Mm. That's an impossibility. Let me share with you why it's an impossibility. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, where the, because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple principle. We understand it very easily to under, have an illustration of it. Just go to the Northern Territory. Drive to the Northern Territory. 
Mm-hmm. There are parts of the Northern Territory where there is no speed limit. Mm-hmm. You can't be fined. You can drive as fast as you want or you as fast as you're silly enough to risk hitting a kangaroo. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you hit a kangaroo at 350 kilometres an hour, not going to be much left it, of the kangaroo or of you. Or but anyway, you, yeah. you can legally do that. Mm-hmm. Right? There is no law. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Okay, so why did Jesus die? Jesus died to save us from our sins. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has two options. If he wants to save us, there's the hard way or the easy way. The hard way is to die Mm -hmm. and to pay the penalty. The easy way is to abolish the law. If Jesus abolishes the law, there is no sin. He's Mm -hmm. abolished sin and everyone is saved. That's the easy way. But Jesus chooses the hard way and his death on the cross is a testament to the fact that the law remains and the law can never be changed because the law is a transcript of his character. First four commandments are all about love to God. The last six commandments are all about love to each other. Therefore, the commandments are all about love, which is why the Bible says in Romans 13 and verse 10, love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Mm. So the only way that you could get rid of the law would be to get rid of love. That simple. So Jesus was nailed to the cross, not the law. If the law was nailed to the cross, you can't have Jesus. What's the point of that? There's no reason to nail Jesus to the cross because there's no sin. Mm. Doing away with the law completely does away with the entire gospel message. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 31, the Bible speaks about it as explicitly as possible. And, and Paul is writing this. Because he knows that there are going to be Christians. He, Paul is a prophet. He knows that there are going to be Christians who are going to claim that the law of God was nailed to the cross, that it was done away with. And so in an effort to write it down as clear as he possibly could, he writes this verse. Do we then, this is Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. Mm. Is it possible for Paul to write it down any clearer than that? Let's go over to First John. And, you know, John was pretty blunt. He's, he's known as the disciple who was a very loving person, but he was also a rather blunt person. Uh, and in John chapter 2, 1 John, sorry, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, whoever keeps his word, sorry, verse 4, he that says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Mm. And the truth is not in him. So, ouch. Um, I'm glad I didn't write that. Um, (laughs) But I didn't write the Bible, and that's what the Bible says. Mm. So nailing the law of God to the cross is an impossibility. Um, And if why why would you want to nail it to the cross? I mean, which one of the Ten Commandments are you objecting to? If you're a Christian, why don't you love all of the law? It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Why would you have any objection to it? Why would you want to get rid of it and nail it to the cross? I don't know. Because I love everything that there is to do with the law of God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.